You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. sad news is there are times when each of us will fail. That's just life. But just as we saw with Elijah, God never leaves us. He was always with Elijah, always there. He gently gives us opportunities to repent. He gently gives us opportunity to draw back to him, even in our failure. He gives us that. In your work for God, in your life as a believer, you will fail and falter as you serve Him. But, as Pastor Dave teaches today, God hasn't left you in your failure. He, in loving and patient kindness, will restore you. He will continue to use you if you humbly acknowledge your failure and return to Him. He longs to use you in the world. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 as he continues his message, Elijah the Caveman. doing in my life. That's what self-pity says to the Lord. When we revel in our self-pity. Been there. Self-pity comes on you, and oh, woe is me, you know. I'm no good. We waller in our self-pity. It says to the Lord, I don't trust you. It says to the Lord, you're not good enough. Your promises aren't good enough for me. I need something more. Self-pity is rebellion against God. One commentator said, self-pity is saying to God, although your word says you love me, I don't believe it. Elijah was going through a fit of depression and wanted the Lord to take his life and end it. And if you've ever been in a fit of depression, you can understand Elijah's problem. I go through depression a lot. I suffer through with it. And I understand where Elijah was coming from. I understand where David was coming from when he said, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. I understand it. David had the answer when he said, hope in God. Our hope is always in God. Elijah knew that. He just wouldn't go there. It was too easy for him to fall into self-pity, self-condemnation, self-deprecation, self-whatever. And what happens then? Then we start cutting ourselves or using drugs or alcohol to fill the void. Because we know God can't do it, so somebody's got to fill it. So we start to fill it, or we use pornography, we use whatever. We start using something else, gambling, who knows? We start using all kinds of other junk to fill the void that God is supposed to fill, but we can't believe he can fill the void, so I have to do those other things. I have to try to fill it myself. That's what self-pity does. It pushes you into rebellion against God, and all the things that you start to do, God is sitting like, like, what are you doing, Elijah? Why are you here? What is going on? God loves to ask questions like that that he already knows the answer. My heart breaks when I read in Genesis. When I read in Genesis and I hear the voice of God crying out, Adam, Adam, where are you? My heart breaks. 
And somebody says to me, well, didn't God know where he was? Well, of course he knew where he was. But he wanted Adam to come forth and tell him where he was. He knew exactly what was going on. But you hear the heart of God breaking. Adam, where are you? I hear the heart of God breaking here. Elijah, what are you doing? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? Look at all the things that happened in the past. Have I not shown you all the things that you should be thankful for? All the things that you should be leaving me for? Christian, God's saying to you, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why are you disquiet? What are you doing? Haven't there been enough? Your self-pity is saying that's not good enough. Your self-pity, your rebellion is saying the cross is not good enough to cover my problem because I'm not like my father's. My problem's worse. Sorry, gang. If that be the case, then our Jesus died in vain. You can name one thing beside the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that that cross didn't cover. Well, then I'll talk to you, but you can't name one thing that wasn't covered by the cross of Jesus Christ except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's just rejecting Jesus and not believing. The crazy thing about it is the Lord's question was not a rebuke. The Lord wasn't rebuking him. The Lord wasn't rebuking him. He was trying to figure out the heart of the matter, which was the heart. Where's your heart, Elijah? Who are you trusting in? You might as well be back there with Jezebel trusting in Baal. You're rebelling against me just like the children of Israel did. What's wrong with you? I sent you to them. The prophet didn't answer the question, so the Lord asked it twice. The Lord asked the question twice. What are you doing? The Lord wanted to know why he was hundreds of miles away from his appointed place of ministry. And I think that's a good question. And I think we need to explore that. Why are you 100 miles away from your appointed place of ministry? What am I saying here? The Lord has an appointed place for ministry for every single person in this room. Every single person. He has created us for good works. Why are you 100 miles away? Why are you going? He places you in a town. He places you in a city. He places you in a job. He places you with a family. That is called ministry. And many, many people think, well, when I get in full-time ministry, no, you got it all wrong. You are in full-time ministry. You are in full-time ministry. You've been given a chance to witness to your family, to witness in your city, to witness at your job, to witness wherever you are. Why do we always have to go all these other places to do ministry? Now, missions is good. Don't get me wrong. I support missionaries. I love missionaries who are called by God, who are actually called by God to go someplace. But if you haven't been called by God, you're called right here. Did you ever hear the phrase, bloom where you're planted? We're to bloom where we've been planted by the Lord. We're to bloom right here. Right here. Many of us think we're in the wrong place and try to move to other places for ministry. And the Lord doesn't ordain those other places and we end up failing miserably. We fail miserably. Elijah thinks he's the only one left to do God's will. I'm the only one who cares, Lord. I'm the only one who cares. This can't go on without me. That's kind of presumptuous. That's kind of presumptuous. Elijah thought he was indispensable. <laughs> That's some bad news for everyone here tonight. And not one of us indispensable. <laughs> not 
one of us indispensable. Not one of us, including me, including anybody else, none of us are indispensable. The Lord told him, hey, he's going to tell him, hey, wait a minute. I got some guys waiting for you. There's some people still around. There's a few guys still left, pal. You're not the only one. The Lord just, the Lord says, Elijah, get out of the cave. Get out of the cave and stand on the mountain. And I love these verses. Man, these are such powerful verses. Let's read 11 and 12 again. These are powerful verses. Lord says, go stand on the mountain. Get out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I love that. I love that. Did Elijah think that the Lord was going to take out Ahab and Jezebel? Here he was standing on the very mountain that Moses received the Ten Commandments. The very mountain of God. And for all we know, it could have been in the same place. Could have been in the same place. It doesn't really say. He says, come out here. The Lord passes by. What does that mean? The Lord passes by. Wow. Think about that. The Lord passed by and there was all this wind that blew rocks all over the place, and an earthquake, and a fire. But the Lord wasn't there. There was no message from the Lord in the earthquake. There was no message from the Lord in the fire. There was no message from the Lord in the wind. Just a still, small voice, which is being translated a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. God was showing Elijah, Elijah, you got to listen to me, man. Everything in the universe is obedient to me. <laughs> I control everything. I'm in control of every single thing. The wind, the foundations of the earth, and all the fire. I can get the work done in a variety of ways, Elijah. If you want to resign, resign. I can get things done. I'll get someone else to step up. But Elijah heard the still, small voice of God. And it says he wrapped himself in his mantle. So it was when Elijah, 13, so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) I love it. Elijah sensed that God was present in the still, small voice in a way that he had never been present before. This dramatic phenomenon that happened And because he sensed the special presence of God, what does he do? He covers himself. He covers himself because God is most holy. He covers himself. The mantle is a symbol of Elijah's prophetic prophetic authority. It's a symbol of his prophetic authority. And God asked the very same question. This sort of what happened like when your mom and dad is asked a question that you don't know, and they know that you haven't given them a right answer. Did it ever happen to you? Mom and dad ask you a question, where were you? And you tell them, and they go, where were you? You know they know. (laughs) You know they know where you were, and they're waiting for you to tell them. This is what's happening here. They give you a chance to be honest. What was different in Elijah's second response? Absolutely nothing. (laughs) This is so sad. God purposely displayed his power in front of Elijah, and Elijah still not could be honest with God. Earthquake shook the ground. Fire came from heaven. 
It should have changed his focus back to God's power, back to God's glory, but it did not. And then the gentle voice, it gave Elijah an opportunity to repent and say, Lord, I've run away. I've gone the wrong way. I've run away. I've mistrusted you, and I underestimated your goodness and your power. The proper response would have been for Elijah to repent. He should have fallen on his face before the Lord Almighty and said, I'm sorry. I doubted you, but he did not. He said, I saw you. Give me all the food by ravens. I saw you make the oil and the flour at the woman's house never run out. I saw you heal the boy where you used me. I saw you bring fire down on the prophet of Baal. I saw all that. And I'm sorry I distrusted you. But how easy we fall back. How easy we see time after time after time. God's grace, God's mercy, God's strength, God's power. Time after time after time. And all of a sudden, one little thing or another. Oh, God's not here. We go through trial after trial after trial after trial, and we think we're sailing beautifully, and all of a sudden something small or or even something large happens, we're out of it. I'm done. Elijah should have known that God always fulfills his promises. God's promises are yes and amen. He always fulfills them. He never, ever fails. He should have said, forgive me. I'm trying to keep my focus on you. Thank you. May I have another chance? And many think that because he didn't repent, is why Elisha came in. God had somebody else in the wings. Like I said, you're not indispensable. You are not indispensable. God will always have somebody in the wings ready to take over in your absence. Always. And that's just life. That's just God. God will always do that. Look at 15 through 18. Then the Lord said to him, Go return to you on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shabbat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet... I have reserved 7,000 in Israel whose knees, who all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. He names these men and he wanted Elijah to anoint over two parts of the kingdom. He also told Elijah that he wasn't the only believer around. There were 7,000 more. Buckle up, buttercup. You got more guys around. Come on. What's wrong with you? I got men all over the place. Interesting. We're going to read that Elijah does not do what God told him to do. Elisha does it. Elijah does not anoint the kings. Let's finish the chapter. So he, Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh, using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So we have, there's a new man in town. A new kid in town. It's interesting that Elisha puts his prophet coat on Elisha. Elijah puts his prophet coat on Elisha as a sign to follow him. Elisha, come with me. It's 
symbolic and it's very dramatic. It says, I've called upon you to be a prophet of the Lord and to do the work of the Lord. Now, as we go further into the study and as we see Elijah being taken into heaven and his mantle falls, the mantle becomes a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The mantle becomes a symbol of the Holy Spirit because Elisha takes up the mantle fallen from Elijah and he receives power. He receives power to do miracles. It was his servant that does miracles. The Holy Spirit empowers a person to do the work. This is like telling him that he'd been chosen to be the next prophet of God. Elisha went willingly, but first he killed a team of oxen. Can you imagine being behind 12 oxen? Holy mackerel. Talk about the 20 mule team borax. Jeez. 12 oxen. These things are massive. They blot out the sun. And he's behind them. It must be a strong dude. I can't, I can't imagine a horse team being held. Can you imagine 12 oxen and you're back there with, oh, but he didn't have a tractor? Come on. He didn't have any kind of a tractor. He probably had some rope around him and he was, he was guiding him along. Elijah was not planning. Elijah was not planning to return. He knew he had been called. He had been called to be God's prophet. He wanted to be God's servant. And for him, there was no turning back. And I like this. We're going to study a lot about Elisha. And he does more things than Elijah did. He becomes more, uh, more of a prophet of God than Elijah. You know, we all become discouraged at times. And yes, the sad news is there are times when each of us will fail. That's just life. But just as we saw with Elijah, God never leaves us. He was always with Elijah. Always there. He gently gives us opportunities to repent. He gently gives us opportunity to draw back to him, even in our failure. He gives us that. When God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, he faced every single trial and every single temptation that we will face. He is not a God who is up there and we're down here. God is with us. Emmanuel, God is with us. And to prove the point, to secure you and to give you his inheritance, he's given you earnest money. He's given you the deposit. It's called the Holy Spirit. He is always with you. God will never leave nor forsake you. He understands what you are going through and he understands what you will go through. He understands what you have gone through. He knows all those things. It's so important to lay down our pride, confess our sins when God brings it to our attention. As we saw the sad ending of Elijah's ministry, Elijah's ministry is over. If we refuse to humble ourselves and turn our back on God, he can no longer use us. He can no longer use us, and what he has to do is he has to shelf us. He has to table us, put us aside, put us on a shelf, and he'll use somebody else. I don't want that to happen. If we remain unrepentant, we will not be able to bring glory to God. But also notice this. If you get into an unrepentant stage and you move forward, God's plans will not be thwarted by your unfaithfulness. God's plans will not be stopped because you stop caring, because you stop trusting in God. God's plans will not be stopped. They will not be stopped. Even by your sin will not stop God's plan. 
When Elijah refused to repent, God had Elisha waiting to come in and step in and move forward. God does not need us. He wants to use us. He desperately wants to use us to reach a dying world to fulfill his plan. It's an honor and a privilege to be used by God. We should look at it that way. It is an honor and a privilege to allow that think that God would want to use us and allow us to be involved in this ministry, allow us to be involved in leading people to Christ and helping people. It's an honor and a privilege to know that he trusts us enough to let us do it. But if we rebel against him, if we, if we turn away and have a sin in our life, an unrepentant sin, he can stop using us and he will. And he just picks you up and puts you on a shelf and moves on. And somebody else will do it. Somebody else will go. Don't miss out on the joy in the middle of God's plan. There is so much joy to be had in the middle of God's plan when he uses you, even in the midst of dire circumstances, even in the midst of the pain. There is joy, please. There is joy. There's always joy, even in the midst of pain. You can see God's hand. You can see God's mercy. You can know God's joy because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And he will do it and continue to do it. But if we refuse to turn from our sin, you have basically tied his hands and he will shelve you and you will not be usable for his glory. Doesn't mean he stopped loving you. Doesn't mean you've lost your place in heaven. Just means you'll no longer be used by him in a most prophetic or powerful way. So we can learn a lot from Elijah. I hope we have learned a lot from Elijah. He's really not mentioned much until we get to 2 Kings when he is taken up and Elisha becomes the prophet. He's really not mentioned much more. He basically had his chance. I may be reading this wrong, but that's what I'm getting out of this. That's what I'm getting out of this. Elijah had his chance. God used him miraculously in many ways. That, that, that challenge with Baal was huge. It turned a whole nation back to God for a while, for a time. Maybe you're in a struggle right now. Maybe you are thinking that God no longer cares. Maybe you're thinking that God doesn't want to use you or can't use you, or maybe you're, maybe you're just in a struggle. Whatever it is, it's not too big for God to handle. God can handle your trouble today. God can handle your weakness. He can handle your failings. He can handle your glory, but he wants the glory. Give him the glory for what he wants to do in your life. God is looking through and through for a heart that he can show himself strong on behalf. Someone that he can really use. He's looking to and through and through. If you're not that person, he'll move on and find someone else. But God will get his plan done. He will get his glory done. And what a joy it is to be in the midst of it. What a joy. I can tell you right now, even through all the hard times and the difficulties, it's a joy to be in the midst of his plan and to watch his plan unfold. My goodness. To watch his plan unfold before your eyes is nothing but amazing. You are a sure
This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. Thanks for tuning in. Throughout the book of 1 Kings, we read about rulers who had victories and rulers who failed miserably. King Solomon, known as the wisest king, made his own fair share of mistakes in his life. In fact, in his later years, he began to put his faith in wealth and women rather than wisdom of the Lord. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in the worldly things rather than in the Word of God? If you have some questions about what you heard today, we'd be happy to try to answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. Keep looking to Scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the Messages tab when you visit AssureHopeRadio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. Each Sunday, we gather at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find directions and more about Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting AssureHopeRadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at AssureHopeRadio.com. There's more to learn from the Book of 1 Kings next time, so be sure to join us again right here on Assure Hope.